0: So, I want to kick off, I want to start you with a little video to get you thinking about something here.
1: Everyone worships. Sure, not everyone wants to call it worship or even think about what they're doing. But everyone worships something Everyone has some ultimate thing that they center their life around. Something or someone that they hope will give their life meaning or purpose. For some, it's religion. For others, it's money. For some, it's fun. For others, it's success, or power, or science, or knowledge, or beauty, or popularity. For some, it's love, or sex. For some, it's their family. But the Bible says, All things were made by Jesus and for Jesus. This means we were created to worship, but there is only one who is really worthy of our worship. That's why nothing else in this world satisfies. We keep on looking, we keep on striving, we keep on buying, but nothing delivers. Nothing brings us that deep satisfaction that we long for. But when you live your life with Jesus as the center, you're doing exactly what you're created to do. You're right in the place you're supposed to be. So the irony is that when we give our lives over to worship Jesus, that's when we actually find ourselves. Everyone worships. But we were made to worship just one.
0: Everyone worships, but not everyone worships the same thing. Now, worship has been in the news a lot this week. And so if you've been following anything, that you've probably seen this, because worship has been all over the news, and it's all thanks to this lady. Uh, This is Professor uh, Larisha Hawkins from Wheaton University. And this past week, she was suspended from her position as a political science professor uh, over the following statement. So on December 10th, she wrote this on Facebook. I stand in religious solidarity with Muslims because they, like me, a Christian, are people of the book. And as Pope Francis stated last week, we worship the same God. Well, Wheaton College is an, a Christian evangelical college, and they, they had some significant concerns over that statement. Um, and the Internet just exploded with f- arguments about this from outside the church and inside the church, from both directions, supporting Professor Hawkins and those up supporting Wheaton. And it became a big conflict. And I think if you read any of this and any of the sides on either, either side, then, then you began to question this or, or begin to ask this question of, well, what do I worship? What do I worship? And I think that's a really important question to ask. I think that's a really important question because to worship something is something you've always wanted. And that's why we're actually making it week three of our series, What You've Always Wanted. Because whether you know it or not, to worship something is something you have always wanted. From the day you were born, you were wired to worship something. You were wired, every one of us is wired to center our lives around something. That's the reason that we have religious extremists. It's the reason we have die-hard sports fans. It's the reason we have teenage girls screaming their heads off at a One Direction concert. Because we were all wired to worship something. It's the reason we sometimes develop addictions and habits that have gotten out of control whether it's to drugs, alcohol, porn, gaming, whatever your addiction is. It's one of the reasons, because all of us are wired to wrap our lives, to center our hearts around something. We were made to worship. It's what you've always wanted. And Christmas, Christmas is a great time about gifts and family and time off from work and Jesus and all of this, but it's also about worship. Christmas is a great time about worship. And as we read the Christmas story, there's a segment of it that is centered all around worship. And we're actually going to look at that one today. So, in this series, we've been going through the first couple chapters of Matthew. We did the, f- first, the first half of Matthew was the big, long genealogy. The second half of chapter 1 was Joseph adopting or saying yes to Jesus as his child. Adopt him into this family lineage of the genealogy of the first part of Matthew. And now we're going to read the first part of chapter 2. Okay? But but before we get to that, you might be thinking with this idea that all of us worship something. We all worship something. You might be sitting there thinking, but I, I don't know. I don't quite buy that. Like, I don't really worship something. Like, yeah, I go to church and I worship God, but I don't worship other stuff. It's not like I kneel down before, before my Vikings jersey. Oh, mighty Vikings, you disappoint me in the past, but I trust in you. And do not fail in the playoffs. And no, So I don't know, okay? Maybe you don't do that. Maybe you do, Okay. <laughs> Uh, but, but maybe that's not you, but I think it's helpful to understand, to kind of broaden our idea of worship. Okay? So the word worship is actually a combination, so way back in old English times, it's a combination of two words. It's worth and ship. Kind of like friendship, this one is worthship. But if you ever try and pronounce that more than once twice, more than once quickly, then your tongue will get tied up in a little knot. So it very quickly became worship. So worship is fundamentally what you give worth to. That's the easiest way to think about worship. Often around church, we think worship is music. Because we even have a worship director. I mean, we even have a guy whose job title is worshiping. Okay, Um, but worship is bigger than music. It's one of the great ways we can give worth to God is by singing songs about him. But there are a lot of other ways we give worth to things, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we use our words, who our friends are, okay? All of that are ways that we give worth to something. And so that's really what worship is. Think of it as what do you center your life around? What do you depend on for your happiness? What do you depend on for your comfort? Where do you find your meaning? Where do you find your security? All of that is what you worship. And I'm not necessarily a big fan of the folks who say you either worship Jesus or you worship other stuff. I think life is a lot more fluid than that. I think you can't really worship both well (laughs) You can't worship Vikings, or Vikings. You can't work, worship Jesus and success really well at the same time. You usually end up doing a lousy job at both. Okay? Um, but, but there is this sense that we can do both, but off, usually one will suffer. And if you've got something else that is on your plate that you're worshiping, it's usually your worship of God that suffers. And so this big question, it's, it's this question about what do we worship. And I think that's a big question. What do I worship? Similarly, another way to look at it is what should I worship? And now, don't go immediately to the Sunday school answer of Jesus. I got it. I got it. Jesus. I always like that teaching Sunday school because you know Jesus is the answer to every single question in Sunday school. Okay? What's white and fluffy with big ears and a fluffy tail? Jesus. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> okay? So don't go straight there. Okay? That's too easy. That's too simplistic of a question. Okay? Because the truth is, if it were really that simple and if it were really that easy, we would all be doing a lot better job worshiping Jesus. But it's not. It's a lot more complex, it's a lot more fluid, this question of what do I worship? Okay. And so I want to spend a little bit looking at a, a passage in Matthew 2, 1 through 11. So it's the first part of chapter 2. It's the continuation of the Christmas story because what's cool about this is that question of what should I worship? The Christmas story answers it and it helps us, gives us some pictures and some language to help us understand what our worship should look like. Okay. And it does this by comparing two kings. Okay? So as I read the passage, I want you to listen to a few words, okay? Listen to king li- listen for the word king and listen for the word worship. And this passage is going to paint a picture of two different kings. I could have I could have called this the service like the tale of two kings, but then maybe like the ghost of christmas past of Charles Dickens would come and get me. Being Christmas time, I know they're out there and so I don't want Dickens to, ghosts to come get me so I figured I, I would just stick with what you always wanted. Okay, so we're gonna read chapter 2 Verses 1 to 11 After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked okay, we're gonna pause there before we get to what they ask because there's a lot in that first sentence. We need, to, we need to kind of explain this a little bit. Okay? Because there are some people. There are some places. There's a magi. Is that like the plural of magus? Like octopus, octopi? I don't know. Okay? There's some, so we, we need to talk about this a little bit. Okay? So, so let's, let's go through some of these people. First, Bethlehem. Bethlehem of Judea. Okay? So Bethlehem was a small town, not even a city. This is a small little podunk town about five miles south of Jerusalem. So Jerusalem was, was the big city, and this wasn't even a suburb even. Okay? This was a small little town, but it was also where Mary and Joseph went where Jesus was born. Okay? Bethlehem. Judea. Okay? Bethlehem of Judea. This was the region Think of this like the province. Maybe the closest proximity that we have might be the state. Okay? It's the state of Minnesota and the city of St. Paul. Okay? Well, no, we need something much, much smaller. So pick your favorite tiny city in Minnesota. There's Bethlehem for you. So Judea is kind of like the state. Think of it, it's the province. So there are the two regions. Now we got a guy, King Herod. He was, as you might have guessed, the king. Okay. King Herod. Now, he was, he had been the king for about 40 years, and he was the king of the whole province. This province of Judea is where the Jews lived, okay? So he was not just the king of this province, but as a result, he was the king of the Jewish people, the king of the Jews, And he was appointed, he was elected that, actually no, he was appointed that, uh, and he started out, he had a pretty good reign earlier, but again, he'd been reigning for 40 years, and things were starting to fall apart for King Herod, okay, his family was falling apart, and and he was not in his later years, I think the pressure must have been getting to him, because he was not a good king. He actually murdered a couple of his sons, his wife. He had multiple people executed, run out of town. He, 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 things really started to fall apart. Okay? His family started to fall apart. His kingdom started to fall apart. And even his health. He actually had a, ter- by, by the time of Jesus' birth, Herod had um, contracted a terminal illness. In other words, he was dying. And in fact, he would die within just a few years of Jesus' birth. So here's a guy whose entire life and kingdom was falling apart. Okay. Think that would make a king a little insecure? I think so, okay? And, and he, had go, he was going on a downhill path. Yeah. So that's King Herod. Now the Magi. Okay. Let's talk about these Magi a little bit. Now, you, you might know of them as the wise men. Okay, that's another way that this word is translated. The truth is, we know very little about what these guys really were. Okay? We don't even know. It's very likely they were not kings. So next time you sing, we three kings of Orient are, no. They're likely not kings. In fact, you know what? There might not have even been three of them. The only reason that has been established in history is because they brought three gifts but you know what my theory is? They traveled a long way. There was a fourth guy there who just forgot a present, and he's like, hey, dude, can I go in on the frankincense with you? Can I just add, add my name onto it? I'll, I'll pay you back, okay? <laughs> Clearly there was a fourth guy who forgot a present or something, I don't know. But, but we, so we don't really know how many there were, but what we do know is what they did. And the closest thing that we have to what they did is probably an astrologer. An astrologer who looks into this, the patterns of the planets and the stars to predict events in the future. Uh, and so we know that. We also know they were not Jewish. So these were Gentiles who came from the east. Where in the east, we don't really know. The, the, the prevailing theory seems to be Persia. Okay, the country of Persia. But these magi, through all of their star maps and looking up into the sky and tracking things, somehow they learned through these stars and maps and charts that this king was being born in this place called Bethlehem. And so that's what these, these magi were. Okay? So they, they travel and then they ask a question. They, they travel to King Herod. So this would be in Jerusalem. They travel and they ask the following question. Where's the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose. And have come to worship him. Okay. Notice the theme. Worship. The Magi came from a long way away. We don't know how far. But it was far. Okay, to worship him. Now notice when they came. So. So. King Herod, tell me where the king of the Jews is. Okay? Now, clearly these magi did not think this one through. Okay? Because you do not go up to the current king and ask him where the next king is. That is not a smart decision. Because anyone who's, who knows anything about royalty, they are, they are fiercely protective of their throne. So immediately, Herod gets worried. Okay? Herod gets worried. Let's continue. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of of the law. Okay? Let's pause there. Okay? So Herod got scared. In fact, not just scared. He was like, okay, this is not going to happen on my watch. Okay? I am the king. And no young upstart is going to come overthrow me. Because that's, that's what, king, kings get poisoned, kings get stabbed, okay? Not going to happen on Herod's watch. So he gets together all of his wise men, all of his preachers and teachers of the law, the, the smartest minds, his think tank, okay? And he gets all the smartest people together, and this is what he does. He asks them where the Messiah was to be born, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the, land, um, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So he goes to his smartest people and says, hey, according to our text, our, our sacred text, where's the, this Messiah, where's the king of the Jews going to be born? Oh, that's going to be in, down in Bethlehem. So go south, about five miles, there's Bethlehem. Okay? And so remember, remember, Herod's, his entire monarchy is falling apart. His health is failing. His family is being divided. His sons are already plotting to kill him. That's why he killed some of them. Okay? His family, his health, his kingdom, everything is falling apart. And he gets worried. He gets very, very worried. And so, what does any good king do when he sees a rival? He plans to kill him. Wait, no, excuse me. He plans to worship him. Let's see what happens. Then Herod called the magi and secretly found out from them where the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go, search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. Right. Really? That's what you're going to do. <laughs> but, but that was Herod's plan. Okay? Let's continue. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them, and it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Okay, now that's real worship. In case you weren't sure about the two worships, that's the real worship. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold gold. Frankincense and myrrh. So one king was disturbed. One king caused people to be overjoyed. One king was lying, manipulative, insecure, and what we find out later in the chapter, murderous. Another king was so good. He compelled total strangers to present him royal gifts that were probably worth hundreds if not thousands of dollars nowadays. One was a true king and the other was an imposter. One king is worth our worship. Everything else is just an imposter. Everything else that we worship is Just Herod an Insecure dying lying murderous King That was true then and it's still true now The true King is still worth our worship The true King is still Jesus Everything else Is just Herod Everything else Is a false king Everything else Will lie to you Everything else Will use you Everything else Will kill you Except the true king All those imposter kings Out there They're all Herod None of them Are Jesus we come back to the question what should we worship and it kind of raises the question are you worshiping Jesus or are you worshiping a Herod so that video that we watched at the beginning listed a whole set of things listen to some look, take a look at some of the things the things we can worship religion money fun success power science knowledge beauty Popularity, love, sex, family, just to name a few. All of those are imposter kings. They're all fake. They're all Herod. And they're all out to use you like Herod used the wise men. Incidentally, just after this passage, Herod gets so scared. The wise men are revealed that Herod's out to kill him because the wise men tricked him. So the wise men flee. Herod gets so mad, he proceeds to execute all of the babies two years and under in Bethlehem. And understand, kind of guessing the population of the town, and um, it wasn't like it was a gigantic number, but it was probably a couple dozen. A t- couple dozen infants were executed by Herod. He was a murderous, insecure, using king and everything else that we worship is the same that hasn't changed okay so how can we tell what we worship how do we know what we worship because chances are if 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 you're going to church or at least here one day here then chances are you'll answer Jesus answer God because that's the good right that's the right Christian answer but how do we get down a little deeper Well, I want to read off four questions. I want to read off four questions to help you understand and help you ask yourself, what do I worship? Okay, so here it is. What one thing do you most hope is in your future? What one thing do you most hope is in your future? What is the one thing you worry about losing the most? What is the one thing you worry about losing the most? When do you feel the most significant? When do you feel the most significant? And lastly, where do you turn for comfort when things aren't going well? Where do you turn for comfort when things aren't going well? I bet the answer to one of those questions is one of your Herod's. That's one of your Herod's. So take a look back at this list. Chances I'm guessing are pretty good that something on this list is an answer to one of those questions. You've got your Herod. You've got your Herod. You've got your fake king. You've got your imposter. You've got your king That will only use you. You've got your king that is out to bring harm to you. Not good. You've got the king that will lie to you. And will use you. And you see. All of these things. These things make lousy babies in a manger. These things make lousy saviors. But Christmas is about the baby Jesus. And Jesus makes a great baby in a manger. Jesus, the true king that this passage set up as the true king, makes a great savior. Anything from that list before makes a pretty lousy savior. Because they're all Herod. And Christmas is a wonderful time to check your heart it's a wonderful time to challenge yourself with how well am i worshiping jesus or do i have my hearts turned toward a herod to a fake king who's a poser rather than the real true king are you centering your life around Jesus, Are you centering your time around Jesus? Are you centering your values, your priorities, your money around Jesus? Or are you trying to split? Are you trying to play both sides of the fence and probably failing at both? Okay. Everyone worships, but we are made to worship just one. Join me in prayer.